You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. The Bible says in Colossians 3, verse number 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And let's pray. Our Father, we love you. Thank you for the wonderful privilege we've had today to be together in church. I thank you for your people, their faithfulness. I thank you for every uh, choir member. I thank you for every musician. I thank you for everyone in the sound uh, booth and the radio room and the ushers and greeters and nursery workers and Sunday school teachers and junior church workers. And uh, the list goes on and on. I thank you for your people and their faithfulness, uh, Lord, every Sunday. I pray that you would please... Lord, help us not to miss what you have for us. Lord, it's a, of course, it's a busy time of year. We've just had Thanksgiving, and now we're looking forward to the Christmas season. But I pray that in the midst of all the busyness, I pray that our hearts would still be open and receptive to the Word of God. I pray that you would help the Word of God to come alive to us today. I pray that we would not just view the Bible as another book or another idea, but I pray we would realize and be reminded that your word has been given to us by inspiration. It is literally God-breathed. It's exactly what you knew we needed. It's exactly what you wanted us to hear. And I pray that you'd help us to be sensitive and be receptive. May we be obedient to your word. I pray if there's anyone here today or anyone listening that does not know Christ as Savior, I pray today would be the day of their salvation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Um, it is uh, good to have uh, my sister Jill and her husband. They were with us at uh, the drive-in last Sunday and then Tuesday night, but they're uh, visiting from California. And then it is uh, good to have Jared back from college, and uh, he'll be here for a little bit. And then he wants to go visit his girlfriend, so he's not going to be here the whole break, but uh, he'll be here for, for most of it, and we're so glad that he's back. He's got one semester left of college till he graduates, and so that's exciting. And then Brother Jake Pinello, I meant to say something on the, uh, at the drive-in, but his mom and dad are in town, and they were here for the drive-in. They were here for Sunday school, but if you see them tonight, I hope you'll welcome them. And uh, it's good to see you today. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. And uh, I just, I cannot believe how good God is to us. And He is so much better than I deserve, that's for sure. But uh, my wife and I were just talking about uh, how blessed we are and how thankful we are for God's many, many blessings. I'll talk a little bit more about that tonight. But this morning, I draw your attention to Colossians 3. I mentioned on Tuesday night that I would probably be preaching from this passage, verse number 11. At the end of the verse, uh, the Bible says that Christ is all and in all. I've read that verse. I've heard it before. I've, I've heard it uh, preached and quoted and taught. But something last week when I was preparing for Tuesday night, it was almost like those words kind of jumped out at me. You, do you ever have that happen when you're reading your Bible? I hope you do, where it's something that you've read before, but it's just like, like God just just speaks. I'm not talking about an audible voice, but, but you know God is he's, he's speaking to you about that. 
It's almost like a hand comes out of the pages of the Bible and smacks you, you know, and you, you realize, wow, I need that. And uh, maybe we ought to invent one of those, you know, uh, your very own uh, hand slapper or, or face slapper to come out of your Bible and slap you when you're reading it. Uh, some of you don't need that because you've got your wife there to elbow you, right, if you're uh, dozing off. But verse 11, it says that Christ is all and in all. Uh, I hope you love Jesus. I hope that the Christian life is not just a routine for you. I hope coming to church is not just something you do just to check it off the list for the week. Uh, but I hope you love Jesus. I hope Jesus means something to you. I hope church is not just something that you, you stick on the shelf uh, Monday through Saturday and then you pull it off real quick on Sunday. But I hope that the Christian life is true and genuine in your life. I read this last week of a Sunday school teacher and the Sunday school teacher was asking his students, he said, uh, give me some reasons for why you love Jesus. And uh, some of the, the children raised their hands and they had some good answers. Some said, well, we love him because he first loved us. And that's a good answer. We love Jesus because he died on the cross. We love Jesus because he, he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. And those are all good reasons. But one of the students raised his hand and he, uh, the teacher called on him and the, the student said, Sir, I guess you could say the reason I love Jesus is because it runs in the family. And you know, that's a pretty good answer. Uh, I don't think you should just say I love Jesus because my mom and dad did, but I hope it runs in your family. Uh, I hope there's something in your family and in your home where your children know it and your spouse knows it and your parents know it and your siblings know it and your, your cousins know it and your aunts and uncles know it. We love Jesus and I hope you love him. And uh, I've enjoyed getting to sing a little bit more this morning about Jesus and boy, that choir song, what a lovely name, the name of Jesus. All hail the power of Jesus' name. We sang at the beginning, let angels prostrate fall and crown him Lord of all. Colossians 3, Brother Dan read for us. I want you to turn back a couple pages to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20. Paul said this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, Christ is living inside of me. He said, everything I do is for Christ and about Christ, and it's because of Christ. Notice Philippians chapter 1. Turn over a few more pages. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians 1 and verse 20. Paul said, according to my earnest expectation and my hope. He said, here's my desire. Here's my, here's my motivation. Here's my goal. He said that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul said this, he said, my life is all about magnifying Jesus. It's about making Jesus look good. It's about making Jesus big. I want people to see that my life is all about Christ and he said, whether it be in my life or in my death, I want Jesus to be magnified. Then notice the next verse, verse 21. He goes on to say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul said, my life is all about Christ. My, my life is not about Paul. 
My life is not about my ministry. My life is not about my goals. It's not about my dreams, but my life is all about Christ. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We get to Colossians 3 and notice verse number 4. When Christ, who is our life. Would you read those four words with me? Uh, Ready? Begin. Who is our life? Let's do it one more time. Who is our life? Who are we talking about? Who is our life? Christ. Jesus is our life. He's not just a part of our life. He's just not a segment of our life. He's not 50% of our life. He's not 75% of our life. He is our life. Every part of our life is all about Christ. I'd like to speak for a few moments this morning on the subject, make Christ your life. Make Christ your life. Lord, I pray you'd speak to us. Help us not to miss these truths from your word. Thank you for the privilege we have to be together this morning. I pray that you would give us exactly what we need from your word. Holy Spirit, would you speak through me and speak to each and every person here, each and every person that is listening today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In high school, uh, that wasn't that long ago that I was in high school, but in high school, I loved sports. Anybody else, uh, maybe you still do, but how many of you in high school, you love sports? That was a a big thing. Uh, Maybe the the Friday night football games, or maybe going to to, to watch the team play, or, or maybe you were on the team, but sports. I love sports. Brother Edmund, I'm looking at you. And you and uh, your boys and your family, y'all love sports. I miss those days of getting to watch Brother Edmund Dixon and uh, Jacob and Thomas and David all on the same softball field at the same time. We could have made a reality TV show uh, with that. That was awesome. But y'all would have had to have microphones on so we could hear all the comments and all the jabs. And those were some fun times. But I loved, I loved sports when I was in high school. Probably the biggest reason that I love sports is because my dad loved sports. And uh, he loved playing sports uh, with me. I don't know how much he loved it because of the sports, but he loved doing it with me and with my brothers. We played a lot of basketball. We played a lot of baseball. I remember uh, many times, I remember at night when it was dark, and we'd still be out on the basketball court playing. And uh, I remember it getting so dark, and you're still trying to play catch. Can I tell you, that is a dangerous, dangerous activity when it's getting dark and you're 50 feet away and you are still whipping the baseball at each other and nobody wants to go in, nobody wants to call it quit, so you just keep playing even while it's dark and we used to do that. I remember in the wintertime, I remember I'd go outside and I'd shovel the, the, the court in the backyard in Rockford. I'd shovel that basketball court get the snow off of it. Make sure you know what I'm talking about. Snow. We had snow in Illinois, a lot of it. And I'd shovel that snow off. You say, why didn't you wait for it to melt? Because it wouldn't melt for four months. You had to shovel it off. And I'd wear a glove on one hand and I'd practice my dribbling and shooting with the the hand without the glove. And then I'd switch, put a glove on the other hand and have a coat on and try to be able to stay warm, but still play basketball. I loved it. It was wonderful. I remember my senior year, uh, my brother Joel and I, we played on the same basketball team. He was, he's four years younger than I am, but we were on the same team. And we rode to practices together and we rode to school together. And the uh, school did not have a gym at the time. They were still building it. 
So then we had to go another about 10 or 15 minutes away to the, the gym for practice every day. And we drove about 30 minutes to school every day. It was some early mornings and late nights and practices and games and, and road trips and tournaments. But it was all worth it because it was sports. As a matter of fact, the joke was in high school, if anybody had an injury, it was worth it if it was a sports injury. Now, the injuries you didn't like were the ones where you just, you know, tripped going down the stairs. I mean, that wasn't really worth it. But if it was a sports injury, I mean, that was like a badge of honor almost. Like, you know, yeah, I got this. I was, uh, you know, I was slam dunking it and I came down, you know, whatever. But we, we love sports. I remember one particular time was my senior year and my brother Joel and I, we, we had a lot of heart-to-heart -heart conversations, you know, while we'd make those long drives and we had just had a, a very disappointing game. I don't remember the specific game, but I know we lost. And not only did we lose, but it was one of those games we should have won. You know, we, we didn't play very well. And I, I personally, I felt like I didn't do that well. And our team lost. And it was my senior year of high school. And I know this is going to shock you. But I did not have one offer to go play basketball in college. I didn't have one. I had three or four, but I didn't have one. No. I didn't have one offer. So I kind of knew my senior year, that was kind of it. And I remember, though, I loved it, and it was great, and it was so much fun. And I remember talking to my brother, Joel, and I remember saying this. I said, Joel, you know, I said, I love basketball, and he knew I loved it. I said, I love basketball. And I said, and I, I enjoy it. It's so much fun. I said, but I'm just thankful that basketball is not my life. And here's why. Because if basketball had been my life, my life would have ended at the age of 18. <laughs> now, I'm not saying I would have died, but I'm just saying, that's it. I mean, I mean there, there's no more, you know, and, and, and you're, you're disappointed. Some of you, maybe your, your, uh, your passion is your, your sports team. Uh, maybe it's college football or college basketball or maybe it's pro professional sports or, or maybe it's a hobby or, or maybe it's a job or, or maybe it's a possession. Maybe it's a house or a car. Maybe it's a gadget or maybe it's a relationship. Whatever your passion is, whatever you love, whatever your life is, I hate to say it, but there will be disappointment. There will be things that don't work out like what you thought. I always think about this when I watch the Olympics. And I see these people who have trained their entire lives for a gold medal. And they come so close to getting a gold medal. And they don't get it. And you can see it all over their face. It's, it's disappointment. It is, that's everything they have been living for. And can I tell you, as Christians, I'm not just talking to a pastor I'm not just talking to a Sunday school teacher or I'm not just talking to a deacon or I'm not just talking to someone who is in ministry in a position of leader. I'm talking to every single one of us as Christians. Our life ought to be all about Christ. When you go to work, you ought to be the best worker you can be. You ought to be the most dependable. You ought to show up on time. You ought to work till it's time to go home. You ought to give it your best. You ought to give it your full attention. And you ought to work as hard as you can. And you ought to do all of that for the glory of God. At home, you ought to be the best parent you can be. You ought to be the best spouse you can be for the glory of God. You ought to be the best neighbor you can be. You ought to be the best church member. You ought to be the best citizen. You ought to be the best you can be for the glory of God. But our life must be all about Christ. You see, that's why God said in Exodus 20, when he gave the commandments, the first of the 10 commandments, he said, thou shalt have no 
other gods before me. How come? Because you'll be disappointed. If you try to put anybody or anything above God, you will live a life of disappointment. You will have regrets. You will have heartaches. But if you'll put Jesus number one, Jesus Christ will never disappoint you. Jesus will never let you down. You will not get to the end of your life and say, man, I wasted my life serving God. I wish I hadn't read my Bible so much. I wish I hadn't prayed so much. I have never heard a single person at the end of their life say, I wish I would have done less for Christ. But I have heard some people say, I wish I would have done more for Christ. Would you make Christ your life? We see in 1 John chapter 5, he that hath the Son, that is Jesus, he that hath the Son hath life, but he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Jesus is not just a part of our lives, but Jesus is our life. When I was in high school, I remember it was kind of a, a trend, it was a popular thing that people would get these t-shirts and the t-shirts would say, uh, uh, basketball is life, or, or fishing is life, or you know, uh, shopping is life, or, or eating. That's pretty close. But eating is life, whatever it was. But you get them special made, and you get it, whatever fit your particular uh, personality. You know, this is life. You know, as Christians, there ought not be any doubt when people see you and people see me. There ought not be any doubt that Jesus is our life, that our life is all about him. Notice in Colossians 3, verse number 1, the Bible says, If ye then be risen with Christ, if you're saved, if you have been born again, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, then you should seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Well, what's that place? What are we talking about? What is above? Where does Christ sit on the right hand? That's in heaven. And our focus and our, our, our vision and our, 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 our aspiration ought to be what is going to please God? What is going to make a difference for eternity? If you're risen with Christ, you ought to seek that which is above. We get so concerned and we get so wrapped up with temporal things but I want to remind you, our focus should not be on temporal, but our focus should be on that which is eternal. Our motivation should be heavenly things, not earthly things. The Bible tells us that the 12 spies were sent out to spy out the land of Canaan. You know the story that 10 came back with a negative report, and they said, we can't do it, the giants are too big, and the walls are too high. And Joshua and Caleb, they came back and they said, hey, yeah, those giants are big and those walls are tall, but our God is able and he can give us the land. And, and, and they went to Canaan land. They saw what was in Canaan land and then they came back and because of those 10 spies, the nation of Israel had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. You know who had to wander in the wilderness with them for 40 years? Joshua and Caleb. You know how they could make it? You know how they could keep on going? You know how they could press on? Because they already knew what was in Canaan. They were over here in the wilderness. They were wandering in the wilderness. But their mind was not in the wilderness. Their mind was on Canaan. Their focus was not on the here and now. Their focus was on what God had in store for them. And Deuteronomy 11 it says it like this. They lived days of heaven upon earth. Now think about that. 
That's the way our lives ought to be. We ought to be living days of heaven while we're down here. Say, Pastor, it's not possible because this isn't heaven down here. Yeah, I know it's not. Thank you for the update. Thank you for the news, news flash. I know it's not heaven down here, but guess what? I know where I'm going. And the Bible says that I'm already seated in the heavenly places. It's as if I'm already there. My citizenship is in heaven. My focus is in heaven. My Savior is in heaven, and he's coming back to get me. And so I can live heavenly days while I'm down here on the earth because that's where my attention is. You don't get that on CNN. You don't get that on Fox News. And you don't get that on most of the blogs and websites. But you sure do get it when you open up the Bible and you say, I wonder what's going on in heaven today. I wonder what pleases God. I wonder what I can do for eternity today. Can I tell you, we should have a life that is all about Christ, a life that is focused on that which is eternal. Number one, I'll go quickly. We make Christ our life, number one, by our, our walk. Our walk. You know, anybody can talk. Anybody can make promises. Anybody can make proclamations. And we are all good at that sometimes. Well, I already proved it to you. I already said, when are we going to start the diet? Well, most of us have no intention of starting the diet, but, you know, hey, it sounds good. Yeah, January. We know what's going to happen in January. March 1st sounds pretty good. You know, with this weather, I think I'll wait till springtime. I'll go ahead and start at that, you know. We're all good at talking, aren't we? But how about a walk? How about a life that backs up and a life that proves that what we say is actually what we believe? Our walk ought to point people to Christ. Our testimony ought to show people that our life is all about Christ. Number two, quickly, our worship. Our worship should be all about Christ. You see, we don't come to church to worship a man. We don't come to church to worship an organization. We don't come to church to worship a pastor or a musician. We don't come to church to make ourselves look good. We come to church to worship Jesus Christ because he is the only one that is worthy of our worship. All the glory, all of the praise belongs to him. And our life is all about Christ when our worship goes directly and completely to God. Number three, we make Christ our life with our work. Now, I will tell you, it is work, and it does require some effort. And serving God does require some sacrifice, and serving God does require some blood, sweat, and tears. If serving God were easy, guess what? Everybody would be doing it. You know why, and it's not this way in this church, it's, it's much better percentage. But many churches, did you know it's 5% of the people that do 95% of the work? It's a lot greater percentage here. And if you've ever been a part of some of our, our events and things, you know it's more than that. But can I tell you this? It is work. Now, I personally believe, although it's work, when you love Jesus, you don't see it as work. When you love Jesus, you see it as an opportunity. It's not an obligation. 
When you love Jesus, you don't see it as a burden. You see it as a blessing. When you love Jesus, you say, yes, it might be work, but every, every hour I spend, every, every effort I spend, every ounce of energy I spend, it is worth it because I'm doing it for him. It is work. Sometimes it's hard work. Sometimes you don't see the reward right away. Last night I went home after working here at the church and getting things ready for Sunday. I went home and uh, Joanna had, had the, the meal ready for the girls and she was giving uh, the girls their food and they were eating and then after they were done, then she was giving them some work to do, some responsibilities to do. And uh, Lacey and Savannah are in here now and Lacey and Savannah, they are excellent workers. They do such a good job and I'm amazed at how much they can do. Chloe, on the other hand, is five years old and she hasn't learned the joy of work yet. Um, as a matter of fact, for Chloe, it's like after she has a hard time eating because she wants to play. She gets so distracted. And then after she finally is done eating, she's not ready to clean up. She's ready to play some more. And so last night after Chloe got done eating, Joanna called her over and she said, now, Chloe, she's like, I want you to uh, clear off the table and I want you to pick up these toys or I want you to do this. And she gave her a couple things and and as soon as she got done, Chloe answered. And I'm standing behind Chloe. And it was probably a good thing I was standing behind her because I had to turn around so I didn't uh, laugh out loud and so she didn't see me. But Chloe, as serious as a heart attack, she looks at Joanna and says, Mom, are you training me again? Because they've been going through training of how you clean up and how you straighten up and how you do your chores. And I'm, it was the funniest. She was not joking. She was serious, Mom. Are you training me again? And you know, that's funny and that's cute. That's a five-year-old. But you know, as Christians, how sad it would be if that's still our attitude about serving God. Oh, do, do I have to do that again? Really? I mean, can I tell you, that ought not be our attitude. Our attitude ought to be we get to serve God. It's a privilege that God would use any of us for anything but let alone to be God's chosen servants, a chosen vessel that he says, I want to use you. What a privilege it is to serve God. Number three is our work. Number four, we make Christ our life by waiting and watching for him. Notice verse number four, it says, when Christ who is our life shall appear. He's coming back. I don't know if it's gonna be today. I don't know if it's gonna be tomorrow. I don't know when he's coming, but I know he's coming and I am waiting for him, and I am watching for him, and I'm not anticipating in fear and trembling, but I am anticipating with joy and gladness and rejoicing, and I say like the Apostle John, even so, Lord Jesus, come. He's coming back, and if we love him, and if he is our life, then Jesus is not an interruption in our schedule. He is our schedule. And if Jesus comes back today, we say, hallelujah. If he comes back tomorrow, we'll work till Jesus comes. But we are waiting and we are watching because when he comes, we will be with him forever. And then lastly, I see we make Christ our life when he becomes our worth. When I say our worth, a lot of times we'll say, you know, it's worth it all to serve God, and it is. And we often say it's not in vain to serve God, and that's true. But did you know that our worth is not in ourselves? 
Sometimes we think it is. Well, I'm going to work so hard and I'm going to do all this and I'm going to impress God. And, and by the way, God is pleased when we serve him. But our worth is not in what we do. Our worth is who we are in Jesus Christ. His love is not conditional. You say, well, I hope I can serve him enough so he'll love me. Time out. He already loves you. He loved you before you did anything for him. He loved you before he ever even saved you. He loved you. He gave his life on a cross knowing what we would be. Our worth is in Christ. William Borden, I told the story, it's been several years ago. I think many of you have heard it. William Borden was the son of a, in a very wealthy family. He had a large inheritance coming to him in the family business. I'll tell you how rich he was. This was the early 1900s. His family sent him on a trip around the world just to get to see different countries in the early 1900s. And while he was on this trip, seeing all the sites and all the places, God began to burden his heart to be a missionary. He sent word back to his family and he said, I really believe that God would have me to be a missionary to some of these people. One of his friends, when he heard it, commented and said, he will be wasting his life. And that's the way the world views it. But can I tell you, you don't waste your life serving God. As a matter of fact, you, 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 don't, you don't waste your life serving God. You are investing your life serving God. But William Borden was burdened for an area in northwest China that was inhabited mostly by Muslims. And William Borden decided that he would go to Cairo, Egypt, and he would study the Arabic language. He would study the, the Muslim culture so that he would be prepared when he went to that region of northwest China. While he was in Egypt, he contracted meningitis. And at the age of 25, before he ever got to the mission field, William Borden passed away. People would look at his life and say it wasn't worth it. But can I tell you, for William Borden, he wrote in his Bible when he surrendered to go to the mission field, he wrote in his Bible two words. He said, no resources. He knew that he wasn't going to have all the fortune. He wasn't going to have all the money. And the money that he did get, he gave every dime to the work of God and every dime to worldwide missions. He said, no resources. Then as he went to Egypt and things got difficult in his studies and his health began to wane, he wrote two more words. He said, no retreats. He said, I'm not going back. I'm not giving up. I'm not throwing the towel. I'm sticking with it. And then shortly before he died, I've, I've not seen the Bible where this was written, but the story is told that shortly before he died in his Bible, he wrote the two final words, no regrets. And before he died, at the age of 25, he said this, I'd do it all again because it's exactly what God wanted me to do. And when your life is about Christ, you can leave the results up to him. Isn't that, isn't that such a freedom? Just knowing my life is all about Christ, I'm going to serve him, I'm going to love him, I'm going to give myself to him. And however he directs, whatever he decides to do, that's up to him. He's God. But my life is all about Christ. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. 
May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.